Welcome to this season of the Unfinished Business Podcast. Over the next few weeks and months, I'll be discussing art directing for the web with my guests, who are some of the most experienced art directors and designers working on the web today. I'm your host, Andy Clark, and I'm writing a hard-boiled web design book about art directing for the web. And you can find out more about that at stuffandnonsense.co.uk slash books. Now, this season of Unfinished Business is proudly sponsored by Coffee Cup Software, and in particular, their new CSS Grid Builder. If you're the type of designer or developer that likes tools to do their dirty work for them, CSS Grid Builder might just be the thing for you. Now, you might have used what you see is what you get editors before, so you're probably remembering just how lousy the code they spat out was. But let me stop you there. CSS Grid Builder outputs excellent code. Browsers developer tools are getting better at inspecting grids, but CSS Grid Builder helps you build them, obviously. At its core, CSS Grid Builder is a Chromium-based browser that's wrapped in a user interface, so it runs on Mac OS and Windows. This means that if the browser can render it, CSS Grid Builder can write it. In fact, CSS Grid Builder builds more than just grids, and you can use it to create styles for backgrounds, including gradients, which is really handy, borders, typography. It even handles Flexbox and multi-column layouts. But designing a grid is the app's biggest draw, because when you're new to CSS Grid, visualizing how its columns and rows combine to form a layout can be one of the hardest parts of learning how it works. You create a grid, use sliders to preview the results at various breakpoints, and if you're one of those people who's worried about other people using incapable browsers, CSS Grid Builder also offers settings where you can configure fallbacks. Then just copy and paste CSS styles into somewhere else in your project, or you can export the whole kit and caboodle. Best of all, CSS Grid Builder is currently free. Yes, you heard that right. It's free while Coffee Cup Software develop it. And if you like what they're doing, you can throw the few dollars their way to help fund its development. You can find out more and download CSS Grid Builder at cssgrid.cc. On with the show. Yeah, so back to Jeremy Corbyn. (laughs) Yeah. You got the hump with me this week, Mr. Hicks. Do you know what? I thought you'd maybe read it as that. No, it wasn't the hump at all. I was just trolling you because a few weeks ago, you did this tweet about, you know, I like it when people hashtag their political tweets. And I was thinking, gosh, you're one of the most political people I follow on Twitter. So I was just waiting, waiting, waiting for that. Oh, he's not done it for a couple of weeks. There's no Brexit tweets. And then then suddenly you did. So I thought, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I just repeated your tweet back to you. (laughs) No, no, it was a, uh, I I missed that totally. It just completely went over my head. Oh, no. I just block all of that out now. I have totally, my list of mute words on Twitter is actually longer than the amount of words that now get through, I think. (laughs) Yeah, mine too. Anything that ends in icity or ism or ist, I now block. Ooh, interesting. I quite like that. That's yeah. So, um, in fact, I got a I got a DM from my friend Emma down here in Australia to say, "Could you retweet my recent tweet? Because you know I'm doing a workshop, and you know 
be nice to publicize it. So I, I went back into tweet, but I couldn't see a tweet from her for days. <laughs> yeah. So I thought something else is going on here. So I opened it up in, you know, the normal crappy Twitter app. And, uh, and there it was in all its glory, her uh... diversity workshop. <laughs> oh yeah, flipping neck. Do you see? Thank you very much. Oh, what's the, going I've on? Just, Matt's well, hang just, on a minute. Matt just brought me a lovely big cup of tea, and I mean a bucket-sized cup of tea. So, so yeah. And Matt says hello, by the way, Andy. <laughs> Does Matt not realise that we've got serious business going on here? <laughs> yes. Well, so he came in anyway. But bless him. I've got a cup of tea bless with me now. Bless him. Yeah. Bless him. We love the ham. <laughs> we certainly do. Anyway, how are you chaps doing? We're doing fine, thank you. This is going to make a minute. How do you know whether I'm doing <laughs> fine? Don't talk on my behalf. I might be terrible. Yeah, my entire family were wiped out in a freak yachting accident yesterday. But, you know, we're apparently I'm fine. Great. So are you beginning to pick up the fact that I'm not great in mornings? Can you tell that? I've been a bit grumpy so far on the show. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's the thing is, I think Andy was meaning the royal we. Were you? Oh, yeah, of course. I forgot. It, I forgot how important he it's is. It's basically like him and his alter ego. They're both fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's my split personality disorder. Yes. That's yeah. what it is. What do you think, or Mr. Is Hyde? Your, <laughs> is, no, no, no. Is it it's your me. superhero persona? It's me and Jodie Marsh. Yeah. Oh, I say. That's a, that's a way She's to my split, alter ego. split your personality. Goodness. I know. Well, I don't, know why, I don't know why she came to mind. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I can think yeah. of a couple of reasons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Probably, yes. Oh, Two big painful. reasons. Perhaps we ought to start doing this podcast properly. Yeah, because, perhaps um, we should. The Jeremy Corbyn thing didn't pan out as I kind of expected. I've made some politically incorrect references. Matt's brought you a cup of tea mm. in the middle of our recording. Yeah. And I've just Googled Jodie Marsh as well because you I didn't just know who Googled she was. Jodie Marsh, yes. I really wish I hadn't. <laughs> no, I, I, yes, I don't know why I brought her up, to be honest. This is what people expected from this podcast. You see, this is the thing, right? This is what we've got to just make clear to our listeners. (sighs) We don't know who our listeners are, right? Because this show's been gone for quite some time. We don't have any listeners. There is none. It's been a bit like open all hours, right? It was a classic of its time. (laughs) Ronnie Barker... Obviously, one of my big heroes, total, total legend. And then they brought it back. Was it like more open all hours or still open all hours or whatever? And David Jason was doing this really rather poor Ronnie Barker impression. It was horrible. Mm. It was totally horrible. Even Johnny Vegas could not rescue that show. It was terrible. So this show's a bit like it's come back, (laughs) but... Hang on a minute. I think I've got that wrong, haven't I? I think you've maybe insulted your guests before you've actually started. Always a good thing. I think I've no, insulted no, no. myself. No. John, we were insulted before the show even started. Because think about it for a minute, right? The email we got from Andy read something along the lines of, I'm restarting <laughs> Unfinished Business. I'm going to do a season on de- art direction mm. and design and that kind of stuff. Would you two come on one about 
Doctor Who. Yeah. So obviously he doesn't rate us very much in terms of our design skills, does he? Yeah. He gets us on for Doctor Who. It's going to be deep insightful ones and then... No, what I actually said in my email to you, my best friends and my most esteemed guests, is how about... I get you two on and we can get all of the silliness out of the way. Because the thing is, one of the things that people used to grumble about with the previous classic iteration of Unfinished Business was that there was a huge amount of general waffle and chit-chat about Planet of the Apes and weeing in hotel kettles. Mm -hmm. And people used to say, get to the point. You know, get, get get to the code. Yeah. So I thought, right. I'm going to start a series, which I really would like to talk about art direction. And I've got, you know, some things to say and I've got some great guests and people that I want to talk to. Which are not us, just to emphasise that, to go back to that. You've just reinforced what Paul said. You know, we're going to have this really serious, deepful, insightful series. I did, didn't I? Let's start with a couple of clowns. (laughs) Well, I did say, yeah, yeah, let's get the silliness out of the way first. (laughs) Yeah, so you have us on. I mean, this is just, you're making it worse, Andy. You're not making it better. With a throwaway. Uh, no, I didn't want this to happen. You know, I didn't want this it. entire podcast has been a, a train wreck from the moment we hit record because you've been politically incorrect. You tried to stir up trouble with Brexit. You've insulted your guests. You call yourself a professional podcaster. This is just a terrible, Andy. Terrible. Well, that it's escalated a poor excuse for a podcast, isn't it? I'm very tempted to walk off. That's how bad it's got. So, go on, and what are you going to do? How are you going to recover it, Andy? Come on. Well, we have some very, very <laughs> important things that you and I, yes. the both of you, the collective you, mm-hmm. are going to talk about today. But seriously, I thought, right, <laughs> I've got my enthusiasm back. I want to talk about some stuff, you know, and I want to kind of, you know, get back into recording again. Because I used to enjoy it a lot. But it just got yeah. to be a little bit too much of a, I don't know, too much of a responsibility putting a show out every couple of weeks. And, you oh, know, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't in oh, the... Oh, my heart weeks for you. The best of spaces <laughs> or whatever. So I thought, right, no, now, now I am back. So we've got some good stuff to be looking forward to. And we've got Doctor Who to talk about. Yes. And that is important. I'm not playing down the importance of Doctor Who. You know, really, I've got to say, in many ways... Doctor Who is more important than this whole web thing. Oh, no, it is, without a doubt. Oh, there you go, Andy. You, you, can you hear that in his voice now? You see how he's calmed down? Yeah. He's brought him down from the edge. Yeah, you found my happy place. He was on the precipice, but now you're talking him off the roof. And <laughs> he was going to do a bit downstairs. of a mic drop there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's <laughs> lots of things that, you know, we would look to Paul for inspiration for. You know, oh, he's don't knowledgeable. Don't butter me up now. No, about no, no, so it's many too things, late. <laughs> Most of which I neither care about nor understand. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to Doctor Who, he knows the inside of the TARDIS. Well, not like John does, to be fair. John is the only one that actually really understands it. Because I'm going to make vague comments later, like, you know, the new special effects company that they've brought on board. But John will know their name and their entire catalogue of everything they've ever worked on. Oh, bugger. (laughs) Oh, shit. You've let me down instantly. I haven't got a clue. (laughs) Have you not? That's one of the things I'm most excited about, <laughs> other than obviously the new Doctor, oh, um. is that they've replaced the special effects company. 
But I don't know whether I'm allowed to talk about that yet. Yeah. I don't know. I M- don't maybe. know whether Andy's got a very strict agenda for the show. Which is that there's never a strict agenda for this show. Um, talking about special effects, just for a moment. Do you remember? Are you old enough even to remember Buck Rogers in the 25th century? Now, is this the 80s yeah. version or the the original kind of like what was it 1950s version? No, the 1980s version. Ah. Oh, bitty, 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 bitty. Yes. Yes. So I don't know what got into me, but I decided to download the Buck Rogers in the 25th century film. Ah, yeah. There was a film. No, it was the it was the first two episodes that they then wrapped up into like a feature length. It was like a TV movie kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it was. Oh my god, talking about you know things ending with ism. Bloody hell! Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it Wilma? She no, was... Wilma was in the Flintstones. No, what was her name? It began with W. Uh, anyway. Varna, something like that. Queen Princess Varna or something. Oh, that. Oh, I know what you mean. Yes, oh, yeah. the borderline dominatrix kind yes. of. Yeah, yes. it was and all the t- very the titles peculiar. Is, the titles was, you know, basically Buck rolling around on his own name, Buck Rogers, <laughs> with scantily clad in fact not really scantily clad more like kind of shiny white rubbery clad <laughs> attractive blonde ladies yeah. it was a different time it was a very different time anyway i got about 45 minutes in and i i felt my shame so i decided <laughs> to uh, actually no i didn't i carried on watching the whole thing <laughs> but to, which be, quite to be honest when i was watching that i was more interested in the robots than the scantily clad women at that stage in my life you know, yeah, the I'm robots about were what made ball. it cool. Yeah, I'm and the spaceships. The there's some pretty cool designs of the, um, like his actual Starfighter, whatever they called it in the series. Mm. Yeah, you know, well, that was interestingly, quite a, a nice design. I did a bit of Wikipedia-ing, and it turns I out that did. quite a lot of the sets and equipment and some of the special effects were actually recycled from Battlestar Galactica. Oh, that doesn't surprise <laughs> that me. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. No. It's a very similar look, isn't it? And it was, Battlestar Galactica was like, what, a couple of years before? It was sort of end of the 70s, early 80s? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Glenn A. Larson. Oh, yes, of course, because he was involved in both. Yeah. Did one I was watching the other day, which Starfleet. Do you remember that one? It was this Japanese puppet show. It was kind of like a Thunderbirds, but more modern, you know, more big explosions and things. And it was dubbed into English, but it had mainly kind of sort of like English and American accents. And it was all sort of redubbed in Britain at the time. Uh, it was Brit- oh, oh, it was quality. It was great. It was one oh. of those that actually stood up to the test of time. I mean, obviously, you know, they're, they're puppets and they all looked a little bit shonky, but it was still a good series. And one of the best theme tunes, I think, as well. I've just remembered something. Do you remember, you know, do you watch Rick and Morty? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I've watched quite a few of them. Yeah. yeah. I'm obsessed with Rick and Morty. And in Rick and Morty, they have Birdman, right? And I was, all the time I've been watching Rick and Morty, I've thought, I remember, but Birdman, that rings a bell. I've seen that somewhere. And it, it's in Buck Rogers. There was a character called Hawk. Do you remember Hawk? That had like no, bird it, hair. Hang on, were you thinking of, is that Flash Gordon? Yes, Flash no, Gordon. No, it's not. No, 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 no. I've just Google, Google Buck Rogers right now and look at the images. And you're, the very first image that comes up is Hawk. 
Oh, right. Perhaps they got it. F- Perhaps there was one in Flash Gordon as well. Yeah, I don't there was know, the but- Brian Blessed. Gordon's alive. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. That what was a another fascinating quality. podcast this is. Three <laughs> old geezers Googling. Is, 70s is it, TV shows. Yeah. Is it a bit well, like... you were the one that started it. Oh, yeah, the Hawk. So, oh, yeah. that's, and that's that actor. That guy that was in everything. With the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, the, yes, with the hair. Yeah. The Hawk. Yes, he had the hair feathers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it looks so shit. <laughs> anyway, we'll put a link in the show notes yeah, for we'll anybody sad enough not to have Googled this by this point. If anyone's sort of wondering what um, an old people's home for, for web designers in the future sounds like, <laughs> this is basically it, isn't it? <laughs> this is basically it. It's a dry run. Yes. <laughs> Except by the time we do get to an old people's home, there won't be a lot that's dry. Oh, oh. no. See, <laughs> once again. Once again, you've overstepped. Should we get on with the show? Yeah, I guess do that. Oh, have we not started yet? Well, we sort of have started. I mean, it's uh, 120 hours in. <laughs> yeah. It's not self-indulgent at all, is it? No, it isn't self-indulgent. But the, this is the thing. This is the important thing, because I reckon that TV shows, Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica, do you remember the Logan's Run? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I, I very, don't like that vaguely, very, much. very vaguely. Not forgetting, oh, God, what was the Jerry Anderson show where the moon, Space 1999? Oh, uh, now, that, yeah. now that was quality. And I reckon that TV shows of this ilk, they, they form part of your makeup. You know, they form part of your, you know, your upbringing and they make us the men we are today. <laughs> what the, the white middle class middle age misogynistic kind of uh, basically i'm blaming what you're doing is blaming tv 1970s tv for for the state of white men today that's what you're doing i'm sorry paul but that last sentence was actually muted because you used the m word i don't see that <laughs> <laughs> But it's no wonder, it's no wonder, you know, looking back, at the moment, all I'm doing, right, I googled Buck Rogers' female co-star, because I was trying to find out her name, and I'm just scrolling down Google Images, and I'm going, no wonder there is such a problem in our society at the moment, when I looked looked down (laughs) this. It was a train wreck. I mean, awful I see it's nothing awful. wrong in Erin Gray in a spandex cat suit. It's just oh my word. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah, of- so now I it's a wake up call for me. I now understand why I'm the sexist person <laughs> that no doubt I am. <laughs> oh it's awful. But Tweaky. Is it Tweaky or Tweaky? Yeah. He was awesome. I named my first ever pet after him. What was your pet? You know, it was a budgerigar. So nobody got. Everybody thought I was calling it after the sound that it makes. Nobody got the obscure sci-fi reference. Oh, now there's bonus points, Paul. If you can remember the name of the computer that Tweety wore around his neck, Doctor Annoying English Accent, and I'm not typing it into Google as we speak. No, I, I, can't, I can't remember. Dr. Theopolis. 
Oh, yes, of course. Now, I don't know why the man with the annoying English accent had a Greek name, but, you know, there we go. (laughs) It was basically an early um, Flavor Flav from Public Enemy, wasn't it? This huge, you know, wearing the huge clock around him. Ooh, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly bring it into the 90s. <laughs> that, that felt completely we flat. Let forward. Yeah. We so, let forward two decades. I Johnny. don't know whether you noticed that incredibly professional segue, but Dr. Theopolis 2, the subject of today's podcast, which of course is Doctor Who. Yes. Also, another segue is if you compare... Buck Rogers, this is quite interesting, actually, to make a a semi-serious point. If you compare the Buck Rogers and and how that was with Doctor Who at the same time, which was the Tom Baker era, I mean, really, kind of, you've got to give props to the BBC, haven't you? Because Mm. Doctor Who was so much more progressive, so much more quality in terms of its its stories and characters and the whole lot so yeah good good for the bbc and leela's costume was definitely politically correct uh, oh, i forgot leela's costume yeah, but you know I, I guess fair enough but after leela you had romana so you had um yeah especially romana 2 the lala ward period you know you definitely moved away from the skimpy outfits um yeah to things that were more you know Edwardian or conservative. Yeah, exactly. Definitely more progressive. But yeah, you can't get around Leela. I mean, that's just, you know, that was was such an obvious move to try and and get dads in, wasn't it? So speaking of assistants... Wait a minute, dreamy there, didn't you, It's obviously just been (laughs) sensible for a moment. We've just reached the end. I mean, I say just, but it's been a few months. It's still fresh in my mind of Peter Capaldi's final series. And, you know, we can talk about that in a minute. But what I do think is interesting was Pearl Mackey's character. Mm. I've got to say that, you know, when she was announced and, you know, I had reservations. You know, I had second thoughts about that character, you know. Well, they did that reveal, didn't they? That was like a little two minute clip of being chased by Daleks, didn't they? That I think was um, to, to announce the character. And she just came across as this very annoying, irritating street girl kind of, you know, that kind of someone with a bit of, you know, attitude in, in quotes. Uh, didn't really yeah. seem to have, you know, God, you know, this is supposed to introduce the character and get us interested and excited about, you know, seeing this character. But actually, I'm really not sure this is going to be a good fit. But... I don't know if you're going to say the same, but I thought she was fantastic. Mm. No, I thought she was amazing. I yeah. I kind of worried that she'd be like the kind of annoying street-ish characters that they'd had in the past. Do you remember Ace? Yeah. Oh. Still hold a still hold a candle for Ace. Oh, you really don't. <laughs> Not lit, of course. Oh, okay. That would be that would be gone by now. But yeah. So I was just kind of concerned that it was going to be a bit more kind of, you know, oh, well, let's try and get a bit of street cred. But actually, I thought that Bill's character was brilliant. And the, you know, particularly Mm. the ending was, you know, utterly heartbreaking. The episode where, I mean, okay, spoilers, but the episode where, you know, she turns into a Cyberman. I was in bits. It was was really beautifully done. 
it was very clever, wasn't it? Because it showed from her perspective how things hadn't changed, but then you suddenly got that reveal of how everyone else saw her, uh, which was as a Cyberman. And I thought, oh, yeah, that was very impressive. I think I heard anecdotally from a lot of people that they didn't like Clara and that they, they felt Clara was too self-important. And that could be because early on in the series, they kind of revealed her to be this very important character that saved all the incarnations of the Doctor at various times of his life, which which maybe was a bit too early, you know, maybe after that, she'd kind of always, she had to have this pressure of, you know, being this really important character. And I still quite like Clara, but a lot of people hated her, from what I've heard. But the opposite was with Bill, because everyone just felt that Bill was much more likable, much more down-to-earth, a bit more depth to her in a lot of ways. You know, you really sort of felt for her, even though it was only one season that she was there. But yeah, you did felt a little bit more close to her, I think. Mm. I thought she was good. I enjoyed her. I thought it was good to bring a gay character in as well. I thought that was nicely done. It wasn't too heavily handed done, but it was quite funny at times. And It was quite matter-of-factly, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, which I thought was good. And she was she was funny, but she could be quite moving. She had a, a better range as an actor, I think, as well, in terms of how she kind of came across than maybe some of the previous ones. So I don't think, you know, she was necessarily brilliantly written or anything, but I just think she's a really good actor. And I think she did brilliant part with, you know, and I, I'm really sad we only got her for one season, really. Yeah. What did you think of Nardole, though? Matt Lucas's character. I quite I think he liked was unnecessary. That. Oh, okay. My response was I think he was obviously the comic relief, but actually I think there was enough comic relief in other areas. You didn't need that. It felt a bit shoehorned in. But mm. but obviously Andy disagrees with me, so no, which is fair enough. No, well, I liked him as the comic relief, but I don't think he necessarily contributed much in terms of the story arc. But, you know, he was he, he was likeable. Yeah. I felt that by the very end, when they said goodbye, you know, you felt like actually he'd become a bit more. But that that was that great line that Michelle Gomez had in the last, the penultimate episode, where she introduces Bill and Nardole as uh, exposition and comic relief. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a bit, 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 Which... bit too self-knowing and, you know... <laughs> bit too, bit... So what did you think of the final series in general? I preferred it to previous seasons. I thought there were less duff episodes, less kind of robots of Sherwood business, and did a much better, sort of much higher quality. But I don't think there were any really standout episodes in that whole thing, apart from maybe the last two, which were well, well done. But yeah, to be honest, and I'm not trying to segue into the next bit, I'm ready for a change. You know, yeah. I'm ready for a different writer. I think the, the last season I enjoyed as a season as a whole was Matt Smith's first season, which I thought worked really well. There's some really standout episodes in that, good stories. Mm. And then after that season... That's when Stephen Moffat seemed to get a little bit too complex, a little bit too clever for himself. You know, he could write some fantastic stories. Back in all the previous seasons, he was the one writing the the best story in, the, in mm. those seasons. So when he took over, I thought, this is going to be great. 
And that first Matt Smith season, I thought, was superb. But then after that, it just seemed to sort of escalate a bit too much. And it was less less in about the story and characters and more about complexity. And I think it was a bit unnecessary. So I kind of, yeah, year on year, I've kind of felt, you know, I'm really ready for, you know, some different music, different take on the show different writers, a different doctor. But do you feel that the new writer, I've forgotten his name, is the right direction? Because, the you know, I looked through a list of the episodes that they've already written and I wasn't blown away. I mean, we're talking about dinosaurs on spaceships and... <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly the, the episodes you go, wow, those were the good ones. No, but then he did Broadchurch... So yeah, I know. I don't know how much of it is because you get the showrunners like Stephen Moffat, who kind of have the vision for what the season should be. So they're the ones kind of writing the brief. And often I know that, like especially in classic Doctor Who, they always used to say, you know, we want a story about dinosaurs on a spaceship. So you go and write that one. So that's kind of what you you've got to work with. He's done some stuff with. He uh, used to write a lot of Torchwood, Chris Chibnall. Ah including one that I didn't like, which was all about the cannibals. I'm pretty sure he wrote that one, which right. really disturbed me ever since. <laughs> but it, I, I know what you mean, but I'm ready to sort of see what uh, what he's going to do. The fact that he's done Broadchurch since, I think, shows that he can, you know, given the right environment, you know, given the, like, the full control, as it were, I think he can, he can really turn around. Are you going to look back on Peter Capaldi's season with fondness? Yes, and I was really excited that he got the part, but I'm, I'm looking back and actually thinking about recent Doctor Who's, I don't think I felt as warmly about him as I did with Matt Smith or David Tennant. No. And I think the times that I have felt warmly about him were, there was one really good story that he did after Clara died. And I can't remember if it was Heaven Sent or Hell Bent. It was one of those two, those two stories. But it was literally just him, um, you know, trapped in this, uh, what was seemed to be a castle at the time, repeating yeah. the same loop. And the way that he, he dealt with that, uh, that was the most kind of like, I felt more warmth and affinity for him and, and you know, empathy. I know you don't love that word empathy, Andy, but you oh, felt you felt sorry for his character. You know, it's a big loss. You know, he was dealing with it in an interesting way, I think. So, but yeah, when I look back at it, I think in some ways, you know, he's really good portrayal, but I think... In terms of warm memories, there's not as many stories of Capaldi's. And I think that's because they tried to make him a bit grumpier and a bit bit more terse. And then they softened him, I think, a little bit towards the end. What do you think, Paul? Uh, Very, very similar, to be honest. I think he partly suffered from not the best stories to work with compared to some of the classics that went before and maybe not some of the best dialogue. He, I was over the moon when he was cast. I thought that this, you know, this had huge potential, very, very exciting. Perhaps my expectations were too high because I thought 
<laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I thought I wasn't a fan of uh, Matt Smith, but actually looking back, I, I really liked Matt Smith. So I thought that Peter Cowdy was going to be a breath of fresh air and something new. And he didn't really, it didn't even really ever quite happen for me. I was a little bit disappointed. I didn't warm to him in the way that I'd warmed to the previous ones. So yeah, again, like John, that's left me really hopeful for the future. I'm really excited for the future. And I really, I'm really looking for a doctor that's kind of got that craziness to them. And that's the other thing. That's part of it with Peter Pacalda is it became quite, he was a tired doctor. He was a Mm, weary doctor. Yeah, That is certainly a part of Doctor Who. What I really love about Doctor Who is his almost childlike wonder and sense of excitement about life, right? I like it when when he's embracing life and he's excited about the things he's seeing and he's always looking for what's around the corner next, you know, where's the TARDIS going to take me next kind of thing. And I think we lost that with Peter Picaldi, which we, we did have with the previous Doctors. I'm just that one little scene with Jodie, you know, she regenerates and she just says this one word, brilliant, you know, oh, and yeah. she gets this grin on her face and you think now, now we're talking, you know, that's, that's what I want to see from a doctor, that grin and that sense of excitement. So that, so just that one word gave me hope for the future. Before we get on to that 13th doctor, let's just quickly talk about twice upon a time, which was the regeneration episode, which I actually thought was, again, incredibly well done. And I really liked the fact that they brought David Bradley back as the first Doctor. By bringing his character back, they they, they looked like they were trying to make a very sort of a blunt point about how times have changed to sort of segue into Jodie Whittaker because you know, he would keep referring to things like, you know, you tell Pearl to, to, to stay behind, didn't he? Or, yeah. Uh, or, you know, telling her off for a language and that kind of thing, you know, I'll give you a smack, yeah. smack or something. And it's very interesting because that is, you know, how William Hartnell's character was. Yeah. And I did look a little bit blunt in the way they were trying to say, but we've changed, you know, this is the new, the new modern who, but generally just, you know, I think as a, as an episode, I think that again comes into that list of warm memories of of Capaldi stories because it, it worked really nice. The, the interplay between them all, in some ways, you know, not a lot actually happened in the end. <laughs> you know, and the, the Mark Gates's character as well. You know, there's lovely little touches with the whole uh, business of you know what do you mean First World War? You know, and then that realization of oh my god, you know, <laughs> yeah. they thought that was the uh, the the war to end all wars, but um, no. And the fact that actually Mark Gattis's character turned out to be a Lethbridge Stewart, mm. I thought was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it was a bit too neat? Um, you know, that everything's got to like you refer back to Doctor Who past, or is it? I couldn't. I couldn't quite. I, half of me was. If there was ever an opportunity, if there was ever an opportunity to do that. That was the episode, wasn't it? It's very, it was very much an end of the era episode. The fact that Mark was even cast in that role because he's been so heavily involved in, yeah. in the series to that point, it felt, yes, it was very self-referential. Yes, it was very nostalgic. 
but that's kind of okay. You know, I think it, it was an okay time to do it, and and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was brilliant, and I I didn't even mind the heavy-handed, you know, references to we've changed because it was all very tongue-in-cheek. It was very funny. I thought Pearl's <laughs> reaction was brilliant. Yeah. It was a great episode. It was by far my favourite out of the season, yeah, I think. Yeah. What did you think, Andy? The only thing, the only negative that I think I had towards it was I think they drew out Peter Picaldi's regeneration for too long. They kind of they hinted about it. You know, it, it kind of started previously and then we had this whole episode building up to it. And for me, I think, you know, it was like, okay, all right, yes, he's going to regenerate. Oh, no, he's not going to regenerate. There were a bit, it was a bit, it felt like an 80s action movie where you think the baddie's dead and then he's suddenly up again, you know. Oh, what a surprise. And it it was very, it was a bit stop-starty with that, but... I mean, I, overall, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, they did that with Big Tenant a bit, didn't they? So let's move on then. Let's move on to the all-new, totally up-to-date, totally progressive, one might say, new, brand-new, spanking-new, never-been-seen-before, first-time-in-history, new Doctor Who logo. <laughs> ah. <laughs> wonder where you're going with that one. <laughs> I'm going to put a link in the show notes to anybody. I actually really like it. My first impression was, oh, all uppercase. <laughs> <laughs> when, when has it not been uppercase? <laughs> well, I know, but it just it just stood out. Maybe it was the roundness of the letters. I don't know. There was, there was something very kind of different about it. And obviously, in comparison to some of the... Th- you know, the previous logos. I mean, I remember the, you know, the John Pertwee, Tom Baker era logo. I thought the DW from, was it Matt Smith's era with the DW in the Mm, shape of the TARDIS Uh was, you know, just classic. And, you know, when you look at the, the small screen version of the new Doctor Who logo, you know, it doesn't have that kind of charm to it. But, you know, when you see the whole thing, you know, written out with those cute little lines that kind of you know come in from the left and go out the right i actually really quite like it i'm warming to it a lot because when i watched that little animation that they did to announce it i was listening i was watching and thinking well this is great you know the sound is quite different you know the color use is quite different because especially the like the capaldi era is very blue in the way that um the, the opening credits were done um, quite cold colours and this one's very warm and it looked quite you know, nice these weird kind of like gooey materials and you can get this impression of things going through the letters and you think oh this is going to be great and then the reveal at the end and I just felt a bit kind of like oh it's a bit delicate it's a bit I don't know a, a bit a bit light uh, but it has grown on me a bit feminine perhaps well I don't maybe Maybe the feeling I got from it. I mean, I like the fact that the line is supposedly the the TARDIS sort of going through it, and you get that nice kind of like break appearing in it. And I, I, lo- I love the say the sound design and the color. They're just a final thing, but it has grown on me a lot. You know, over a week, which is always going to be the way. You know, any any time a new logo is put on, you know, Twitter explodes with the people that hate it, the people that love it, and then you know, after a while, no one gives a toss. 
I'm going to put a link in the show notes to uh, an article in The Guardian, which actually shows all of the Doctor Who logos right oh, nice. from the very beginning. And it is really quite interesting. You know, you go from the original kind of 1966, what looks like Times New Roman uppercase to me you know all the way through the kind of various you know iterations and it does the doctor who logo says a lot about the time that it was designed yeah. you know, the 80s one is very you know very, very 80s, 80s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the peter davidson logo you know well the peter davidson logo for example i think colin baker probably had uh, i think he had the same one the one which I just think is the worst thing ever was the Sylvester McCoy era oh, logo. Yeah. yeah, that was that was shocking. I think the John Pertwee is the best one. I think with, they use that now for all the when they release a classic series episode like on DVD. They always use the John Pertwee, and it's just it's just really neat. I think it's um it's not nothing too because the, the Tom Baker one and the Diamond I really hated. But the, the the John Purdy one just had this nice sort of quirk in them in the type, like this nice curl on the H of the Who, and ah, oh, yeah, it was really. I think that was just perfect, and I a bit like the co-op. I kind of would always hope that they would go back to that and start using it again, or just refresh it slightly for a, for a contemporary use. Yeah. Now, interesting of its time. So let's see what this new one turns out to be in terms of time. Oh, time travel. There's a bit of a segue. Transformation. Regeneration. Well, it's not a segue. It's not a segue because it's the entire, the entire series is about time travel, Andy. I'm sorry to point that out, but, you know, you're segueing with the entire episode. Let's talk about the really, really important, in my mind anyway, mm. there's a couple of really important issues about this new Doctor and the show in general. The first one is that there's a rumour, and it's not confirmed yet, but there's a rumour that the new Doctor Who is going to be 60 minutes rather than 45 minutes in length. The first episode definitely is. Ooh. Yeah, I'm not sure. It hasn't been announced for the rest of it, but they're saying for the first one it's definitely going to be at 60 minutes. But I think they've done that for the last couple. Like Matt Smith's first one was longer, and I think Capaldi's was too, just to give them a bit more time to... You know, a bit more of a story because I always feel that forty-five minutes is a bit, a bit quick. You know, a lot of stories. Yeah, it's a bit of, of a rush. Yeah, they can resolve mm -hmm. too quickly, and I think the two parters are always better because it gives the, the story more time to breathe. And I think that's kind of, I don't know if that's more modern tastes as well. That people actually like that. Certainly, the adult audience likes that. I'm not sure whether the younger audience does, but the ad adult audience likes that idea of, you know, like you know, when the, the TV shows you binge on Netflix, you know, it's like it's spread over sort of 16 episodes or whatever, you know, and it takes its time to tell the story. That would be great, but I don't think they'll do that. I'm sure that we've talked about this numerous times when we've talked about Doctor Who on this show before, but. You know, I really like the old classic Doctor Who's where, you know, you'd have a whole story for like six weeks. Mm. But then you get like 25 minute episodes. So it's kind of. Yeah, I suppose you know, they, they were. were very short. You're just getting into it and then it sort of stops. And I know that they did, they did the 45 minute thing based on Buffy. You know, the idea of, you know, you've got an hour with uh, adverts. 
to when so when you're selling it to, to other television stations like in America, you know, you've got this neat slot of, you know, here's your hour slot, you can fill it with Doctor Who, you know, allowing for adverts. But I would like it to be longer. But the world is changing now, isn't it? You know, these days with more and more streaming services, all the, the time scheduling is different. So perhaps now is the time to move to a slightly longer format. You know, because you look at things like uh, Westworld or those kinds of things, they, they all come in around the hour mark, don't they? Certainly longer than 45 minutes. Yeah, and I think some episodes, especially the ones that are Netflix only, they can yeah. actually make them whatever length they, they like. I think watching the OA and they've always vary a little bit in length and some of them the episodes are like you know don't get the opening credits until about i think the first Three episode quarters of the way. yeah i think the first episode of the oa you're sort of 50 minutes in and then suddenly you get the opening credits and it's like oh <laughs> i hadn't realized we hadn't seen those yet but you know you're straight into the story and it's it's no mucking about i was watching an old tom baker classic recently i forget which one it was now and that was brilliant because, you know, it built up the whole story over six weeks or so. And it came to the climax, you know, you're five minutes to before the end of like, you know, episode six. And all of a sudden, the doctor and his lovely assistant, are you know, running through this maze of corridors being chased incongruously by the, you know, the main villain. And they get to this, they get to the end of the tunnel. And there's this massive drop, you know, down into the depths of the planet. So guess what? The doctor gets on one side and the assistant gets on the other side. They stretch out the doctor's long woolly scarf. Yeah. And the main villain runs trips over the scarf. And that's the end of the episode. You think, well, you could have done that in the beginning. Oh, simpler times, eh? So you talk about things being wrapped up quickly, but, you know. Yeah. Yes, I know. Brilliant. That's true. So, yeah. So they're talking about it being 60 minutes. This was the rumour that I saw. 60-minute episodes, but maybe, you know, maybe it's just for the first one. And they're talking about 10 episodes in the season, not 12. Yeah. But that's I'm up with that if it's if it means that they've got the good quality, you know, or maybe if they do do 60-minute episodes and they, they spend longer on it, just stories uh, have a chance to breathe a bit. I think that'd be great. Maybe with this new special effects company that Paul seems to know everything about, that the overall quality will be even better. I am hopeful of that because I've got to say, uh, the special effects were beginning to feel like they weren't keeping up with everything else you're seeing on television. You know, that since 2005, you know, when it when they rebooted the series in 2005, you know, it wasn't bad for a TV, you know, special effects thing. But now we're increasingly getting used to more and more quality uh, special effects on TV. Our, our expectations are going up. And so, you know, you kind of want to see that reflected in Doctor Who. And I think, uh, you know, I'm actually really quite excited by the new, you know, the new company that's coming on board. I think it's they'll be really good so their track record is things like inception was theirs blade runner 40 2049 was theirs so you know it's they've got good caliber behind them so i'm hopeful that we're going to see some good special effects you know coming up in the the season uh, the new season that's my hope anyway well let's get to it let's get to the most important topic about the new doctor who the thing that's been, you know, massively, massively controversial, you know, in the casting and the the run up to this new series. And to be honest, I'm still I'm still in two minds about whether or not this is, 
you know, good for the doctor or not. But let's see what you think. What are your honest, and I mean, you've got to be honest with me here because, you know, there's nobody else but us listening. You've got to be honest. What do you really, really, truly, deeply feel about Doctor Who being from Yorkshire? Yeah, we've been there. We've done this. This is old hat. Really, are people... Are, no, I know you were winding it up because you were, you know, saying, what do you really think about a doctor being a woman? And then you avoided it and ha-ha, and it's all very funny. But you're not serious that, that people have got an issue with the accent she's using. This isn't a real thing, correct? We know that um, in real life, she has a Yorkshire accent. Yeah. But, you know, Chris Tennant was from Scotland, and didn't play a Scottish character. Do you mean David Tennant? Yeah. Sorry, David Tennant. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't play it in his native voice. So I'm not suggesting for a minute that the Doctor should be from, you know, Basildon. Well, that's just it. You know, if it's if it's not, you know, if it doesn't have to come from Basildon, then it could be, you know, it could be any accent and why not be Yorkshire? One thing that's got quite interesting, um, I don't know if you've seen the film Death of Stalin. It's this Armando Iannucci film about uh, the life when Stalin dies and the power play that happens after it. Basically, all the characters in there were told not to put on fake Russian accents. They said, you know, just choose whatever accent you want to play in. And Jason Isaacs has got this character, the head of the army, and he was told that your character's really blunt. That was the thing that he was famous for in real life, was that he was a, he was a very blunt with people and quite rude. And he and he said, well, what's, what's the most blunt accent in the world? And he said, well, it's Yorkshire, isn't it? So he plays the whole thing with a Yorkshire accent, <laughs> <laughs> which is fantastic. Really, it's one of the best bits in the film, actually, I think, really, the, the funniest. But that's having said that, though, I think... It's funny, there's a film called Enemy at the Gates... Enemy at the Gates, which is a, a film about Stalingrad and Vasily Zaitsev, the sniper. And Jude Law plays Vasily Zaitsev. And it's actually a really good film. But the thing that lets it down, I can't believe I'm going to say this, is my hero, Bob Hoskins, plays Nikita Khrushchev. And he does it with the most terrible accent. <laughs> it's just awful. So, uh, yeah, you know, I don't care that she comes from Yorkshire. You know, it'd be better if she came from Lancashire, you know, where all of the best people come from. <laughs> I just find it deeply hurtful. We've never had a, oh, we've yeah. never had a doctor with a West Country Wurzel accent. I mean, we know, we know, you know. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, a Cockney. No, no, no. I mean, we know John Pertwee could do a really good West Country accent from when he did Wurzel Gummidge. I mean, why didn't he play the doctor like that? <laughs> It's racism. That's what it is. Yeah, it is. That would have been it quite is. funny. No, I know that you were. I know that you sort of were joking about me, kind of, you know, building building this whole thing up. It's obviously a big change, and you know, you know, with every new doctor, you know, there comes a you know a whole new kind of generation of fans, and you know, it's not just about the doctor themselves, but about you know, the cast of supporting characters as well that that comes with it what do you think about the choice of companions for this new doctor again i'm not going to be the first thing that springs to mind is what the bloody hell is bradley walsh going to be doing in there? i know yeah yeah i felt the same but, you know let's give him the benefit of the doubt things i felt that about billy piper and i felt that about Catherine tate and Pearl Mackey, 
And each time I was proved wrong, I've actually really enjoyed them. So I kind of think he has done serious work before and I think it's worked out well. But I'm a little bit, I'm a concern because I don't think it's a good fit. But the thing I'm really concerned about is the fact that they've got, is it three companions? So they've got Bradley Walsh. Yeah, so they've got Bradley Walsh and they've got a girl and the boy. Tosin Cole and Mandip Gill. Yeah, because now the last time they had three companions was back in the 80s. And there's this whole thing in Doctor Who fandom about the fact that Nyssa was really underused. So that, that was the last time they had three. And basically you're spending a lot of time in, you know, trying to give people something to do in a story. Whereas when it was just one companion or maybe two it, not so much. It works better. But with three, it kind of felt like basically you're either trying to give people something to do, which is usually like, you know, being captured or something like that. Or like there are some episodes with Nissa where the, I think she just has like had a headache and then she's she stays in the TARDIS for the whole story. Anyway, and it was, you know, the actress that played her really, you know, said about this. It's like, you know, this wasn't great. I had this really nice character that I had this nice backstory and then they're basically for some reason, put too many people in and they didn't use her. Hmm. Oh, I've just looked on the BBC. Bit of real-time follow-up here. It says here on the BBC, in more exclusive news, it is confirmed that the new series will be a 10-week run of 50-minute episodes. Okay. Kicking off with a feature-length hour for the opening launch. So you get five minutes more. That's, I'll, I'll take that. That's good. Yep, that's pretty good. Right, let's get to the meat of it. Let's get to the most important... There's been enough of a build-up, hasn't there? We need to, we need to discuss this. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's not a lot to discuss, but... Yeah, it's going to be the shortest discussion ever. It was about time. And not only was it about time, they'd been leading into this. We've had a female master who was brilliant. It's a no-brainer. It really is. And I think she's going to be as good or as bad as any other previous Doctor. We just don't know until, you know, we see her play the part. I think... Yeah, I'm really, really excited. I think it's it will give a fresh take on the show. It's something different. You know, I can see a whole plethora of jokes that you can make off of the back of going from being a man to a woman that will be funny. <laughs> and I hope they have the guts to use them because that's going to be, you know, enjoyable. I just think, you know, it's got so much potential to it. And I think within three episodes, you won't even think twice about it. You know, in fact, probably less than that. Yeah. Here's the thing, Paul, right? That says a lot about you because I was not even going to bring up the fact that the new Doctor was a woman. That's not the big thing that we've been building up to. (laughs) You're you're lying, yes. (laughs) I was actually going to talk about... I was actually going to talk about the fact that... Do we think that Jodie Whittaker is the right casting? You know? Okay, so the Doctor was going to be a woman. That's absolutely fabulous and i do agree with you completely that you know we can there can be a lot of fun with that you know if we think about other female actors that could have been the doctor you know do you think that she's the right choice i kind of do you know she seems to have a a kind of a i, hope not. <laughs> I can't think of the right word spunkiness to her which i th- i think could be quite of a of a contrast yeah you know particularly to peter capaldi so you know i think if it was um oh god i forgot on her name now the woman that played river song oh uh, alex kingston yes you know that would have been a very very different female doctor i think 
Yeah. And, and yet this one feels, you know, it feels very kind of, very new. Well, there was a big rumour before it was announced that it was going to be uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And I don't know if you've ever seen Fleabag, which is, uh, I think it's online-only comedy on iPlayer. But she she's amazing in Fleabag. And what when this rumour came out and I was watching this, I was thinking, she would be fantastic because she's got the eccentricity. You know, she's got that, so that look in her eye, a bit like Tom Baker used to have, you know, that kind of, they could actually be an alien. You know, they look human, <laughs> but there's, there's yeah. an element that they could actually, there's a twinkle in their eye that suggests, actually, they really are an alien. And I think she would have been fantastic uh, in the role. So I think Jodie Whittaker's a great actor too, and I'm waiting to see. But I, I had that kind of feeling of actually, when this rumour went out, I, I'd kind of latched onto it a bit too much and thought, oh, yeah, that's going to be great. I'm really hoping it was going to be her. I mean, I confess, I haven't seen Jodie in anything, so I really can't comment on it. I, I never watched Broadchurch. And anyway, from what I can gather, Broadchurch is such a radically different thing that, that there's very little comparisons that can be made. I'm judging her purely on on a one word that she said <laughs> as Doctor Who, which is probably not the best way of judging whether somebody is good casting. But what immediately went through my head with her saying that one word is I feel like I'm getting David Tennant back, which from my point of view has got to be good. Yeah, so I think so. You know, there was something about the way she said that of with that enthusiasm and that excitement that just caught me. So I'm very much, you know, enthusiastic. Yeah, I think seeing her in other things, I think she'd very much sort of fill that kind of role of in that kind of line of David Tennant. You know, someone who's very bubbly and excited like you were saying about you know someone who's excited about the world and discoveries and i think she would really you know have that kind of angle so i'm certainly not i'm certainly looking forward to it i think it's, i think it's going to be great but did you feel the same andy did you feel you would rather have somebody else no actually i think that she's a great choice mm. and i haven't watched broad shirts either so i'm only going off you know clips here and there and like you say that one word but no i think that it's gonna be good you know i'm i'm more excited now about you know the new series of doctor who than you know i would have been and this is nothing to do with you know nothing to do with gender necessarily but you know i'm more excited about the difference that she's gonna make to doctor who than i would have been had it been somebody else man or woman so no, I think it's great casting, and I'm really looking forward to all of those kind of, I don't know, kind of little differences that you know that they're going to kind of, you know, introduce into the series. I mean, you know, it kind of brings me on really to what I thought that, you know, we could sort of nearly close with our sort of penultimate, I think is the right word, topic, which is, you know, what do we think the inside of the TARDIS under Jodie Whittaker is going to look like? Are we going to see more... Uh, Lots of cushions. Are we going to see more cushions? <laughs> Someone has to make that joke. Hey, although that, that joke isn't far off of the inevitable thing that was said on Twitter when when she regenerated. Did you see this? That there was all these stupid ass unimaginative guys going, you know, oh, she'd only been you know, the doctor had only been female for one minute and she's already crashed the TARDIS. <laughs> and it's like Yeah. I think the Daily Mail even ran with the Well 
can I point out? Can I point out that pretty much every doctor that regenerates immediately yes. crashes the TARDIS? <laughs> I mean, Matt Smith had it upside down, didn't he? So you know, let's see whether she can park it properly. <laughs> oh God, Andy! Oh God! Um, but you see, what I like most that you haven't mentioned is her new outfit, right? And the reason that I like her new outfit so much is because she's got old man trousers on, right? She's, well, the doctor is well over a thousand years old now. So it makes sense that he has a pair of trousers that pull right up high. Yeah. And that's what she's got. She's got old men trousers. She's, but she's it's not brilliant. got those socks with suspenders. I think that's a very nice detail. The special socks that men used to wear that <laughs> have the. No, she hasn't. And the suspenders to keep the actual sock up, to yeah. stop the sock from falling. Because, you know, that feeling of a, of a high sock, you know, it's lovely, isn't it? Bit of security. Yeah, it's important. And, well, she's got braces, which I thought was pretty good. So she's a, she's essentially dressing her age, which I think is good. When you're over a thousand years old, you know, it's appropriate that you dress accordingly. I mean, you know, look at Chris Eccleston trying to rock a leather jacket at his age. You know, when you're 800 years old, he was at that point, leather jackets, not appropriate. So I approve of her new outfit. What would be a fl- appropriate? Would it be more like a like an anorak or a, uh, maybe a fleece jacket? Yeah. Patches on the elbows, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Pipe. yeah. Oh, Matt, Matt Smith was ideal. Uh, exactly. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. He dressed his age. Perhaps this is not the time to say that I've just bought myself a leather jacket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be fair, you're not one uh, and a half thousand years old. How, how old is the doctor now? Is one and a half right or is he two? Oh, I've, lo- I've lost count now because it keeps going up dramatically every time they mention it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it used jumps, to be quite easy. It? it used to be kind of like under a thousand, but, you know, it's... Uh, yeah. I think it's a couple of thousand now, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he's getting on. Anyway, what were you talking about? So you got a bit to go, Andy. Let's start wrapping this up because I think that, you know, we've, we, we've talked about the most important Doctor Who issues of the day. And we've got a bloody long time to wait as well. I don't think this new episode, you know, her new series is going to start until what, August? Uh, it's October. <laughs> oh. October? October, yeah. I think you ought to put this podcast on at the end of your season, well, not at the beginning. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to put it on at the beginning and people will marvel with the quality level of the conversation <laughs> that, you know, that is to be had. It's the perfect prelude. It's the perfect prequel to, uh, you know, a lot of the other crap that I'm going to be talking about. <laughs> it's the warm-up act. <laughs> It is, it is, it's the warm up act. It's getting the silliness out of the way. Not only did the special effects company do Blade Runner Inception, etc., they've also done Black Mirror and Altered Carbon. Oh, blimey. Seriously. Wow. The special effects are going to be the best thing about the new Doctor Who. We need special effects, obviously, when it comes to creating our enemies for the Doctor. So, our final topic, I think, should be. What enemies do we really want to see return and possibly not return? Who are we really kind of sick of? Don't bring back any of the old ones. Yes. <laughs> this, this is the thing, actually, because I think because of cost, they brought back things like Cyberman and Daleks a lot. 
And it's they're just useless. You know, when you Stephen Moffat said himself that when you bring them back so many times and they get defeated so many times, they just become, you know, just laughable as as a an adversary. And they've really overdone them. So I would like maybe, you know, just like choose an old character or something but not an old villain like th- not the one of the big ones like the Cybermen or Daleks something new I'm sick to death of Cybermen yeah I've got an idea it's something about the way that the the TARDIS threw out Jodie Whittaker right it like it didn't want her there I think the TARDIS ought to become the enemy ah, right? right I think she should be fighting her own TARDIS oh interesting well how's that going to work How's that going to work? I've no idea. They personified the TARDIS before in an excellent episode that was really good. But, you know, maybe the TARDIS ought to be yeah. the baddie. That, that would be, be interesting, twist, wouldn't, wouldn't it? it? Yeah. 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 But basically, the TARDIS is like the Daily Mail. Complaining about the you know, this PC doctor that's come in. You know, bloody hell. TARDIS full of bras. That's what we need. We ought to have, you know, the misogynist as being the epic enemy. You know, I think that sounds great. It sounds like a Doctor Who villain, doesn't it? It'd be brilliant. Well, isn't that just the master? Well, no, the master became the mistress. Missy. Well, I know, but... Yes, I know. Yes, I, I watched the programme, Paul. <laughs> Did you? The one with Chris Tennant. Or wouldn't it be great to take a previous incarnation of the Doctor right, like Matt Smith or David Tennant, and that they become the baddie for some reason. (gasps) Interesting. Yeah. Now getting into this. That could be interesting, couldn't it? I like the idea of that. Yeah, fighting with yourself. Because I always liked, do you remember the episode with the Dream Lord? He was pretty good. Toby Jones, he was fantastic. Yeah. That was such a good story. Again, that was that first season of Matt Smith that I was waxing lyrical about. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. something like that. Because that was, again, like you say, that was him fighting himself, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, I like that. So much potential. See, there's no reason to keep regurgitating Daleks and Cybermen, is there really? Well, this is it. I think it mainly came down to cost. <laughs> yeah, they already yeah. had the stuff and they didn't have to pay for new stuff. You know, it's, it really came down to that. Well, you know which episode I want to revisit, don't you? You know which storyline I wish they'd go back to? The Green Death. John, what's that? <laughs> The Green Death. Yeah. <laughs> Which is even more pertinent now. It was a kind of an environmental Which story. Which is the Green... What's, what's the Green Death? The Big death? Green I've Maggots. Never, I don't know that. It's a John Pertwee story with maggots. That, yeah. Like... I mean, obviously, they weren't that scary. Well, they were at the time, but looking back now, they're, they're quite kind of like ridiculous uh, you know, enemies. But Yes, there was some yeah. radioactive gunge that was dumped in a South Wales coal mine. Mm. I think was well, generally yeah. the uh, the the gist yeah, of the story. It was an early environmental story, definitely. But you say that that Daleks and and Cybermen was a cost thing, but really, I can see the logic of that. But on the other hand, I think it's also a lazy solution. There are a look at an episode like the original Blink episode, right? Mm. That was not an expensive episode to make. 
<laughs> no, yeah, yeah, was one of the best episodes that had been ever, you know, ever written. Yeah. So good writing, I think, can keep your budget down. I mean, or even as we were just saying, the Dream Lord episode, there wasn't really any, you know, oh, there was, I suppose, yeah, there was the whole cotton cold Nova <laughs> yeah, thing, but, but still not, um, not massively expensive, was it? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's always been the case, isn't it? They've always tried to, you know, make do and mend with the best mm. they can. And, and sometimes that can great great stories, but mm. not necessarily lack of creativity, but I think this comes down to a lot a lack of time, especially in the old mm. classic series. There's a, oh, really yeah. good, there's a really good book about, I forgot what it's called now, like something, like something about how to make a space cow or something. But it, it talks about how last minute everything was. Yeah. Um, so budget was a big problem, but it was also the fact that, you know, someone basically turned didn't write the script they were supposed to. So they were given like, you know, you've got tonight, stay up late and what, you know, you get someone else to write it. So, um, you know, it's amazing that anything actually made it onto television yeah. at all, really. Well, I think that we've exhausted our conversation about Doctor Who for this show. I'm sure. I'm absolutely categorically sure. I couldn't be more sure that we're going to end up talking about Doctor Who again, <laughs> possibly in October. And we're going to go through all of this oh, again. Oh, do we have to? Am I con- is there some contract I don't know that contractually obliges me to do this shit? <laughs> no, it's, your, it's purely voluntary shit. <laughs> uh, I think that... You know, podcasts need this stuff. You know, I think that there has to be, you know, a counterpoint to all of the serious conversations that go on on the web about things ending in ism and whatever. And this is the antidote. Maybe antidote is not the right word. This is the, uh, this is the contrast. This is the distraction. This is the contrast. This is the distraction from all of those hyper-important conversations. I've got to say, I would prefer to live in the world of Doctor Who at the moment to the real world. So, so that's fine. I'd prefer to be living with Daleks and Cybermen than, you know, Trump, for example, or Brexit. <laughs> yeah, so, that's you know, true. There you go. That's uh, true. Yeah. Right. We should wrap it up. Do you know what? We've got to the end of this podcast. We are now about an hour or so in, and at no point have I actually mentioned to the audience who. <laughs> <laughs> I should have maybe done this at the beginning as a professional no, no, broadcaster. Please matter. don't say my name. Don't say my name. Right? And joining me on this a... week's no, show. No, no, no. Shh. Just, I, I don't want me to be in any way associated with be this quiet, episode. Kind of. Right. Just leave me, leave me anonymous. Right. Thank so you. joining me on this episode <laughs> of Unfinished Business were icon designer and web extraordinaire john hicks hello <laughs> and my good friend don't say it rachel andrew yeah right rachel okay, andrew he <laughs> <laughs> no. did really well didn't mention css grid once <laughs> no she's no you did you did grand there last well you know no that is so talking about please, it, please. rachel she deserves better than to be caricatured as me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just pick, pick anybody, but, you know, but poor old Rachel. 
No, I will be bringing this up with Rachel in a few weeks because just a quick mention that over the next kind of 12 weeks, one episode every two weeks, I'm going to be having some um, intellectual conversations about art direction and layout and things like that with some equally esteemed guests, including uh, Stephen Hay, Jeffrey Zeldman, Dave Slate, Bethany Heck, Mark Porter, Dan Maul, and Rachel Andrew. So tune in again, folks.